Hello and welcome to the Fellowship Phase, an Adventures in Middle-earth podcast. I'm Josh and that's Callum. We're going to give you inside information on how to find your own path through Tolkien's world. With hope or without hope, we will follow the trail of our enemies. And woe to them if we prove the swifter. We will make such a chase as shall be accounted a marvel among the free kindreds, elves, dwarfs and men. Forth, the free hunters. Like a deer he sprang away, through the trees he sped. On and on he led them, tireless and swift, now that his mind was at last made up. The woods about the lake they left behind, Long slopes they climbed, dark, hard-edged against the sky, already set of sunset. Dusk came. They passed away, grey shadows in a stony land. Hello, Callum. How are you doing? Uh, hello, Josh. I am... I'm great. You seem rather uncertain of that. <laughs> Are you weirded out by the fact that we're recording in person for the first time? Yeah, just the, the comfort of the, the screen light upon my face. It feels strangely more intimate that we're face-to-face <laughs> doing this yeah. rather than yeah. looking through a webcam. <laughs> Leaning in. Um, yes, there's, there's so many more things going on in person. And um, it is strange, isn't it? But uh, in a good way. What it means is we can record lots of episodes for our lovely listeners, and we've got plenty to get through. We're going to talk about chase mechanics today, which is what your lovely narrative introduction was about. Um, which bit is that from, from the books? That's when... Um, it's from The Lord of the Rings, to Lord of the Rings. I've heard of it. Heard of it, yeah. You should read it, it's great. And they, they have just lost Barbie. The breaking of the fellowship has just happened. Yes. Merry and Pippin have been captured by Lurtz and his band of Urukai. And uh, they are starting to give chase, the, the segment of the free hunters. And it, I think it's a prototypical... Is that a word? It is. A prototypical chase in the, in the narrative, you know, and it really tests. And you can see this in the book and in the films that the, the free hunters are really pushing their limits. They're testing their constitution, let's say. And they are, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a really dramatic moment, in fact. And I think it, again, ties into these themes of talking the wilderness, traveling being hard, the journey and uh, speed often being important, which translates really well into a game, I guess. It does. We wanted to touch on a couple of rules, quite specific rule sections, probably in a series of slightly shorter episodes. And they're all things that have happened when we've been playing, and you've been the lore master, where we've got to a point in the game and paused and said, what are the rules for this specific mm, thing? Yeah. And we've known there either are rules out there or that there's a gap in the rules. And we've stopped as a group to be like, how are we going to play this bit? Because it's normally important. Yeah. And we thought these would be some good examples of things that we could talk through. You know, what lessons we learned and how we came to the decisions. First of them is going to be the chase mechanics. Because I think it is reasonably common that there'd be a chase. Um, it's sometimes a natural end of a combat if 
the combat's not a fight to the death, likely someone tries to escape. And it's one of these things that in the game, it feels you need rules because there's a very clear success and fail state in the chase, whether you... I mean, if you're running away, it's escaping. Or if you're chasing someone, then it's about catching them. And because of that, it needs some rules Mm. and some chance of success or failure. But what are those rules? You You could use other rules that exist already. And I think we've talked in a previous episode about using a skill challenge for a more extended chase. And I think that works well if it's, if it's happening over hours to, to days, then I think that probably to me makes the most sense in yep. terms of like using skill checks and skill challenges. So go back and listen to that. Um, which one was that? That was flight to the Ford, flight to the Ford. Yeah. And I think the advantage of skill challenges like that is that even characters who maybe wouldn't be good in a foot race yeah. can still contribute yeah, yeah, in exactly. a longer sense. And it, and it makes narrow, it makes sense to do it like that. Uh, the other way that you could do it, and sometimes we found this, is you know, say you've been in a combat, and there's a chase after the combat. You could you could just say like, okay, well we'll we'll just use the movement. But some I I think that's a bit difficult because there's some characters say like a rogue, for example, they could action dash, bonus action dash, and then use their movement. Yeah. And even if they're like a smaller character, and you know, normally not that fast. That sort of kind of breaks it down a little bit because you're like, well, why is this character so much faster yeah. than that one? And it's also it, it kind of feels a bit arbitrary to me. Like you know, like you know this this character that's maybe like a centaur. I don't remember what the player character is in D and D. Is it Satyr? Satyr, I can't remember. But like you know, why would they not be quicker because yeah. this rogue has got this ability? So it that's tempting to do, but I find it often breaks down and maybe you're on a battle map. And I've never found that like a really very satisfying way of doing it because it's so there's no like there's no like ambiguity yet. So so your players can be like, oh, just I just need to do some maths. Oh, we'll definitely catch them, or we definitely definitely won't. won't, Yeah, I totally agree. And then sometimes you, if players know that's what the rules are, they almost won't initiate a chase because they think, I know the enemy has higher movement, so literally we cannot catch them. And you're like, well, in a game, nothing should be that certain because otherwise. It really limits your choices. It should always be an option to try a chase. Yeah, maybe your movement is not as high as others, so you think the chances of success are low, but there should still be some chance to offer the the decision to the players. And I think just using the 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 distance, your movement distance, which is already kind of abstracted because the idea that you move these kind of set amounts. Yeah. And there's like a five foot difference between maybe two different cultures. It's a little abstracted. And then to take that abstraction and apply it to a different scenario becomes even weirder. Like with with rogues or with treasure hunters, I think the reason they get their bonus action dash is not because they can run in a straight line faster. It's to make them more mobile around the map, which makes sense. But if they can then run faster than a much bigger creature, you're like, well, that's... That doesn't yeah. make any sense yeah. at all. And I think what you really want is that the players and, and you as, a, as the lore master, that you want people to feel like it's fair and it yeah. makes sense. And and when rules don't make sense, that's when people get a bit, you know, you push up against the rules. You're yeah. like, oh, I don't, I don't agree with this. And you don't want your players sitting there and thinking, well, if the rules had been fair or made sense, yes. then we would have succeeded. And we only failed because of the arbitrary nature of the sort of game. Yes. Why am I even playing a role-playing game? Yes, it should never be like that. And... 
I think people, players, are very willing to accept failure if they understood the stakes and the rules at the beginning, and then they see that's how it panned out. They think, yeah. oh, okay, yeah. you know, I, I participated. Whereas if it's like uh, these rules are hidden behind something, I don't know what they are, we've lost, I don't really understand how we got here, that's not satisfying. So that's why we stopped and looked at the book and discussed the rules in the moment. The, I think the, the, the occasion this happened was we'd been in a combat a crossing this has happened a couple of times and that was kind of an outpost and someone fled and we thought that person is going to carry a message about what's happened back to the the main kind of um, enemy encampment which was nearby and so our, our motivation was we can't let them get away because we'll lose the element of surprise we got across the crossing and this person fled and we were going to chase them we had then this conversation about, well, do we just use our movement distances because we're going straight from this combat on a map to the chase? And we had this discussion. It doesn't feel quite right, but we need a way of doing it. Now, our starting point then was to return because Adventures Middle-Earth is based on the 5th edition rule set. We looked at the Dungeon Master's Guide for chases. That was our starting point. And I'm going to run through the, those rules now and we can talk about what we liked what we didn't like so it talks about beginning a chase and whether you roll initiative or not if you're already in initiative basically you don't need to but if the chase starts not in a combat then you should roll initiative to kick things off obviously a chase needs two parties at least someone running and someone chasing and you need to know the distance between them when the chase starts it might be they're next to each other but it's possible and probably likely that the, the person who's fleeing has some advantage. And that distance is important. Then what happens is you do use some of your your kind of combat rules, which is that you can take an action and you can dash each round. You take Each player who's taking part does it in rounds based on initiative. You're encouraged to dash. In other words, you use both your action and your movement every single time. Although you can stop to take an action so you could fire your bow or you could in fifth edition cast a spell or do something different where it changes from combat is that the rather than just being on your 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 movement distance it's based on your constitution for how long you could keep going each player can use the dash action for free um in other words untested three times plus a number of times equal to their constitution modifier. So if your con modifier is one, you can dash four times without making a roll. On the fifth roll, you then need to succeed on a DC 10 constitution check. And that's the idea that you're kind of running out of breath. You're running out of energy. Characters, maybe fighters, warriors who've got higher con can go further. That's where that it kind of evens out the idea of the rogues being able to run much faster. Yeah, yeah. Now... And this was a contentious point. If you fail, you gain one level of exhaustion. A participant drops out of the chase if its exhaustion level reaches five. You, you just fail. gain a level oh, of exhaustion. Yeah. yeah, okay, I remember why it's so bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we read this section quite a few times. Um, yeah, yeah. And then you drop out. if you Now, obviously, the effects of the exhaustion can also take place. So you've got a disadvantage on ability checks with one level, and they get worse and worse. We'll talk about exhaustion rules. In a future episode. Yes, because there's a lot to get into with AIM. 
So these are the basic rules for um, chases. You then have an end of the chase where you need to have a sense of what winning or losing looks like. Catching the person is probably quite easy. What does escaping, if you're doing, what does that look like? It, you probably have a narrative sense of what they're escaping from, where they're aiming to get to. Maybe they're trying to cross a river or get into a crowd or get back into a castle. There's an end point for yeah. it. The Dungeon Master's Guide is good, in, good at throwing in some complications. Uh, you can choose to roll d20s um, for your. The players can roll d20s to see what sort of complications might happen during the chase to kind of narratively spice it up. This is um, on page two five three to two five five of the Dungeon Master's Guide. Thank you very much. One example being in an urban chase, you might come across a pack of dogs fighting over food, and you've got to make an acrobatics check to kind of get through this pack of animals. Or in the wilderness, a sudden drop catches you by surprise and you've got to make a dex saving throw to, to navigate this, this drop that you've come to. I love that. That's, uh, that's the hobbits running from farmer, um, yes. <laughs> farmer, ma- farmer maggots and his hounds. And if you fail, you can fall and potentially take some damage. Those are you good might ma- break something. <laughs> Speaking of Lord of the Rings vegetables, Callum's actually wearing a potatoes, boil and mash them, stick them in a stew t-shirt. Uh, this is the one area that not being able to see us on camera means you're missing it because Callum's t-shirt is, is excellent. It's on the theme. We're so, going to do an episode on, in the future on potatoes. I'm going to write that down. Now. Those are the chase rules as they are in 5th edition in the Dungeon Master's Guide. That gave us our framework, but we didn't like everything from this. I think probably the key one being the exhaustion mechanic. Is that fair? I think so. There's obviously lots of differences between 5th edition and, and Adventures of Middle-earth or Lord of the Rings role-playing. I think the main one is that the exhaustion mechanics play such a big role in Lord of the Rings setting. Uh, and it is much more punishing to have exhaustion because there's less ways to recover it because the rest mechanics, which we'll talk about in the future, are, are so different. I was, I was listening to an episode of Critical Role recently and um, someone got exhaustion and they were having to look up the rules again. And it just really hammered home to me like how infrequently it actually yeah. comes up in in normal Dungeons and Dragons because you're taking rests quite frequently. Sometimes creatures have abilities, but it's really not something that you're thinking about that much. Whereas in AIM, it's like if you gave me a level of exhaustion, that's really bad. And then if I was a player character, I'd be like, well, I'm not going to give chase, you know, because then I'm absolutely screwed going forward. And yeah, I think it is is quite a dramatic and quite quite hefty punishment for dropping out um, of a chase. So so we agreed, I think, as a group. We, we came to this conclusion that it would basically discourage you from ever chasing anyone. Yeah. And that didn't feel quite right. <laughs> so we decided, I think, on your lead, that we ditch the exhaustion bit of it. Yeah. And if you failed the con check, you were just out of the chase. You were out of the chase. And you couldn't participate anymore. Yeah. So I think you, on its basic level, I really like the idea that, you know, because Constitution isn't really, it doesn't really come up that much. You know, poison saves, I guess. Um, if you're concentrating on a spell in 5th edition, that's not a thing in AIM. You know, and sometimes it's hard to know, like, what is, you know, because all these numbers, the metrics are quite abstracted out. You know, like, what is it strength? Is it con? You know, and I like this because it, like, tests a, a modifier that isn't tested that much. The... What we decided, and you know, I think the idea that you know you can you can succeed a number of rounds, 
you can mix in the movement speed, and I think this is how we did it. So if I was running this like in person or roll twenty, I guess you would have like the token or the the minis or whatever you're using, yeah. and then set them a set distance apart. So wh- however the chase starts, so say that you've got your player characters and there's there's four of them that were a hundred feet away, and then one of them was like two hundred feet away. Mm-hmm. So set them that distance apart from where a quarry, and then um, as you're doing each round. As it succeeds, they, you know, if their movement speed, if they say, like, they're on horseback and the person they're chasing isn't, mm-hmm. you might move them closer or further apart. Uh, without saying, like, you know, you don't have, you don't need to have, like, a two-mile-long battle map. And instead, you're just doing the relative distance between them. Yeah. And that works quite well. And I think I've done that on Roll20 before, and hopefully that was quite... Because we had a chase recently in Markwood, and that's how I did it as well. We just yeah. had a side of the battle map. You know, because... Quite often I find that chases come up when you're not really expecting them to happen. It's just like, oh, this person would flee, and then the player characters decide to chase them. So you're like, oh, I didn't, didn't really prepare for this, but I just, you know, usually just get a bit of blank space on the on the map and and change the relative distance. Um, we just did a couple of other things, so I thought, you know, actually it'd be quite nice if there was some reward for a natural 20 on your con, con check, because that's always a nice thing. So yep. what we decided was that if you rolled a natural 20 you would auto-succeed on your next constitution check. Yes. So you'd obviously succeed on that one, and you'd succeed yeah. on the next one, which is quite a big deal. Uh, and then the final one... Um, oh, yeah, we, I think we said that you'd be stunned the next turn after failing. Yes, because what we wanted to make sure was that there was a, a almost a punishment for failing, so that if... If, for instance, you failed just as another member of your party caught up to the your quarry and all that happened was you just didn't get to run again, actually you'd be in the combat pretty quickly and it's like, well, you've not really yeah. lost anything. Whereas effectively missing a turn... Yeah. Imagine it's that thing where man, we all know that's feeling when you're like running or exercising in some way. Being chased by just, orcs. You just, have to, you just have to stop and you're like so... Like, you know, this is life or death we're talking about here in these games, so... People are really pushing themselves and getting to that point where you just have to stop and catch your breath, perhaps collapse the ground, maybe a, a small vomit, who knows. Uh, you can be exhausted in whatever way you wish. Or you're not exhausted, you're just stunned. Now, an example from the the game, which I think probably helps illustrate this, was we, we were at this crossing and it was a, a bridge which had collapsed. So the, the structure of the bridge was still there, but there was a gap. Our favourite enemy, a 10-foot gap. There were some sentries, and then there was someone who was who seemed to be the most powerful member of the, the sentry group, a woman uh, who seemed to be similar to Carhu. She was kind of tall, broad, looked like a Bjorning, a Wilderland person. She, when we managed to get across, fled. But it didn't seem that she was fleeing in kind of fear. It felt like she was running with purpose. And our fear was that she was going to deliver a message that we'd crossed the, mm. the river and we'd lose the element of surprise. We wanted to chase. Um, you, We had this discussion about the rules. You then began to kind of narrate. And I remember that there was a kind of a, a hill going down from where we were, which was increasingly wooded because some of us didn't even bother to try and chase and actually decided to fire arrows. Um and it was as as she got further away, there was more cover, and also she crossed out of the short range of our weapons. So we began rolling with disadvantage. So as she got further away, it became harder and harder to hit, which made sense. In deciding to fire our bows, we also had 
basically chosen not to take part in the combat if caught up, because we'd be like 300 feet away. Carr, who was, as a, a slayer of Bjorning, understandably had the best con, and I think he was the he was the last person still in the chase. And he caught up with her in what you narrated being a bit of a clearing in the woods, on his own. And we were, and you kept track on the little map, several rounds behind. So we knew that there was going to be this this moment between them that we just couldn't get involved in and we would kind of arrive mm. staggered. And if I recall, it it looked like it would be a fight to the death. I think they'd both been injured and either one of them could have been killed depending on the roles. And I think using these rules was really effective because it set up this very meaningful battle and some of us weren't participating because of the roles and decisions we'd made, whether that was because we didn't have good con or because we'd chosen to fire an arrow. And I think it was very satisfying that we'd settled on the rules. I think there are loads of ways we could have done it that would have potentially been less fun. Mm. Um, so I think that hopefully illustrates why the rules are important. We, I think the, the trend at the moment that I see is that in role-playing games in general, people are going for rules-light systems, you know, abstracting out things. And I think that can be really fun. If you want to just pick up and play a, a short game... And you're not really that invested in it, and it's you know, you know, it's easy to get into. The flip side to that, to me, is that like once, like now that certainly we are at a stage where I think we've got pretty good understanding of D and D core mechanics and the basic rules, is that having that crunch can actually really add something, particularly when you're really invested. And I think this is one of those examples where like having we could have abstracted it out, we could have just skill challenge. You know, we, we could have just narratively said, you know, like, well, Carhu's probably going to catch up the most because he can run the best. And just saying it like that, which, you know, would, would probably kind of make sense, wouldn't it? But having the rules allows you to have, like, kind of a bit more certainty sometimes in things that happen. You know, like, what made sense actually ended up happening because yeah. the rules made sense. Yeah. But also, it can lead to unexpected things. You know, it's not... You know, unforeseeable that maybe Karhu would have dropped out of the, the chase earlier on, and maybe someone else would have got through. And like, what what does that lead to the story happening? And yeah, so I think these are rules that you know we've used lots of different rules. There's some rules that we've tried, and you know, like what's the the one the the I rules that are an optional extra rule and aim. We need to talk about them at some point. Yes. So we tried that out for a bit, and I think we kind of didn't really definitively say let's not use them but we sort of just drifted out of using them because there was quite a lot of crunch and it yeah. didn't feel like it added that much fun yeah. and there was some other issues with it and there's definitely rules where it's like you add in rules and you're like mm. so I think it'll come down to your table what do they like yeah. do they like more crunch like less crunch but I think this is a rule that to me is a little bit crunchy although it makes sense and it, it adds something and it kind of makes running that bit of the game a bit easier or made it easier for me anyway, because it wasn't... I didn't have to make a decision. I was just like, well, these are the rules. I'll put them out. You all know what the rules are. So you know what yeah. the stakes are. So then you're like, okay, well, I use my inspiration here. Will I use, you know, a fellowship dice or some other thing that you've, you've acquired mm -hmm. that will, will make it easier? Yeah, because I think... I actually think the fact that it was Carr who caught up to it, which actually had a lot of narrative significance because it was a, a plot line that was really being led by him, showed that the rules 
did make sense because actually the most likely outcome narratively was the thing that happened because of the rules which i suppose shows that the rules did facilitate what we were trying to do which is is what we wanted if you had just said at the beginning oh i've looked at all of your movement speeds only car who's going to be able to catch up with it so we'll just zoom into a battle between them i think the rest of us would have been like well we want to contribute in some way i wanted to fire a bow or you know call for aid or do something differently and then it spoils it slightly whereas Lena. I really didn't want you to kill her before. Because, like, <laughs> rules are written, you know, range damage, you can't go non-lethal. Yeah. Uh, and, but, like, you almost did, and it was very close, and I think that could have been really bad. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Narratively, it would have been very bad when we discovered out who she was, and not just a, not just a nameless NPC, but actually quite a significant person in the plot. Uh, but, yeah, these chase rules, I think, are not too complicated, Use your con modifier um, as a way of judging how many times you can dash without rolling. Then start rolling. People with a lower con are more likely to drop out, so the stronger, fitter people are more likely to make it. You can throw in complications if you like. You could write your own complication tables. Something I've done, actually, is use these as inspiration when doing skill challenges for for, um, chases as well, which we've also done. There was one we did in Curse of Strad where there was effectively a battle across a whole town and there were loads of little skirmishes going on and you had a race to a particular building against some vampires and we did it as Spoilers, a skill challenge. there's vampires there's, in Curse of Strad. There are some vampires, yes. You, <laughs> we did a skill challenge for that, but failures I narrated using complications. Oh. Um, and they were things like, as you were running like a, a skirmish kind of barreled out a side street in front of you and that slowed you down. I that was a really I remember that chase. Um I was flying, so some of the complications didn't really affect me. Yes. Uh, but uh, it was really it was a really narratively interesting chase. And actually the reason we did that partly was because it was over a bigger distance. So it was about two miles you chased over. So doing it in and you, there was a very set destination I think doing these rules wouldn't quite have worked. The other thing I wanted, which is why I used um, skill challenge, was your successes and failures would have affected the end battlefield in terms of how many people and what was happening at the time. So actually the roles you had about different skills had a narrative impact on the ending. Yeah. So, well, I guess you could do that same thing with the chase mechanics. You could, you could, yeah. I think, I think both of them are really great. And obviously there's some overlap, but this is a lot more like... One direction is the constitution, and maybe this fits better into aim actually, because you know, at the end of the day, you just have to run a distance. I don't know how it would work with horses. I think it would be quite different. We've not really had horses in our campaign much because there's not many horses around. But um, I think if you had a horse, then you know, maybe you would get the horse to do the the chase. Yeah, I think, and actually, if you did it, for instance, if it was in Rohan and everyone was mounted on horses, so it was actually like a horse chase. I think you could you could have you could actually maybe almost build it into more of a mini game. You could bring in like animal handling roles. Yeah. You could use the horse's constitution. There are stuff in the unreleased Rohan region guide, which is a PDF that you can find somewhere. And um I should have no idea where I got it from. Um Make an investigation. I think Jeff. I think I bought it before <laughs> they, they stopped selling stuff, but the uh, Rohan region guide has got loads of interesting stuff for how to run horses, so maybe we should talk about that in a separate episode because I'm running a Rohan game for some people at the moment. Yeah, I'd like to know how that goes. But yeah, I think I think overall these chase mechanics are one one of my favourite mechanics actually. I think yeah. they work really well 
and uh, would recommend giving them a go. No emails except on party business. And comments, suggestions, and questions to the fellowship phase at gmail.com. The long year turns to its close. Much we have accomplished these last seasons. Our fellowship disbands, but is not broken, and we will return. On the next episode of the fellowship phase.